This morning, I want to begin by telling you a brief story about a man named Leslie Newbegin. He was one of the uh, most influential Christians of the 20th century. He was a theologian. Uh, He was born in England, but he came to faith in Christ when he was in college. And in 1933, his newly married wife, Helen, they were sent off as missionaries to India, kind of part of that great student missionary movement of the early 1900s. And there in India, they learned about a different culture. They learned the language. They learned about the caste system and how different that was. Um, They learned about a way of life that was so different than how they grew up in England. They spent some time in some other European nations as well, as Leslie was involved in the world ecumenical movement at that time. But most of their career was in India. And then in 1974, so if you count the math, 1933 to 1974, was that 40 years or so, they returned home to a much different England. Modern, secular, democratic society had changed a lot of things in 40 years. Like much of Europe in the U.S. today, the modern culture had encouraged kind of the, the privatizing of your faith and values. The secular society tells you that your, your faith is private, it's between you and your God. In the public square, we don't talk about faith. We don't talk about values, we talk about facts. So we protect your private religious belief, don't bring that up in public. So when Leslie Newbegin came back to England, he looked around at a strange and foreign land. He did not see, as one author put it, a secular society that had no gods, but he saw a pagan society with lots of false gods. See, after 40 years of living internationally, especially as a missionary, Leslie had missionary glasses on. He could not help but see England as a mission field. He saw the false gods of modern society. He saw the false dichotomy between facts and faith. He saw the worship of consumer goods. And he saw that the church was guilty of syncretism. Y'all know know what that word means? Syncretism. That that is the the combining of uh, religious beliefs or practices from two different uh, religions. Okay, so a Western missionary, you know, especially in the 1900s, they were concerned about syncretism. Say, you know, for example, for the Nubigans, they were in India. They have someone who converts from Hinduism. They might be concerned that this person might still worship some Hindu gods on the side. Or maybe they still go to some of the Hindu festivals or have some of their Hindu practices and try to believe in Jesus. That's syncretism. Now, of course, we wanted to avoid the, uh, the habit that often missionaries at that time had, colonialism, of saying, well, our culture, you should adopt our way of life, Now, we want to avoid colonialism, but, well, they also wanted to avoid syncretism. And Leslie saw syncretism as a huge issue even in England in the 1970s. He saw that the church of the West was just as guilty of syncretism as any other culture of the world. And he's absolutely right. Even 50 years later, in the West, many combined Christian faith with a Christian nationalism or political idolatry. Many have tried to be Christians, but they live just as consumeristically as anybody else. Many try to be Christians, 
but embrace the sexual ethics of our world. Many try to be Christians, but not believe in the exclusivity of Christ as Savior of the whole world. We've come to operate, almost without seeing it, we operate under our culture's assumptions that our faith is private and personal. So we as Christians, we no longer act as God intended us to, as missionaries in our own land. And we're guilty of syncretism. So I think it's urgent to all do what Leslie Newbegin did when he came back to England. I got, I got to have new glasses. I am in a foreign land. I am in a pagan land now. And I, I, God has sent me here on mission. And friends, just, just look around. Look around at the world we live in. It's a different United States than it was 40 years ago. It's a different United States than it was 10 years ago. It's a different United States than it was like three years ago. The world is changing and has changed rapidly. It's a, this is a, now a pagan land with false gods, with Christians who are syncretists with the culture around them, and it's a land that needs missionaries who proclaim Jesus is king. Friends, we're in a sermon series on spiritual growth called Grow Together flourishing as disciples in community. And today I want you to consider the topic growing in our mission. Growing in our mission. I'm going to ask you to take a step today in your missional life. One of our church values is every member is a missionary. Every member is a missionary. And I want you to say to yourself when you wake up in the morning, every day I'm an everyday missionary. Every day, every day I'm an everyday missionary. And I say that not just as a pie-in-the-sky idea, but as a reality that is true. It's theologically true. We have been commissioned by Christ to go into the harvest, to be His witnesses, to seek the lost, to fish for people, to make disciples in the world. That's why Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You can't be a Christian without being a missionary. That's what it means. You can't follow Christ without helping others follow him also. What did he say to his disciples at the beginning? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If you follow me, I will transform you into being a person who fishes for other people. That is Christ's goal with your life. From the very beginning, he called his disciples to be missional people. And that's because Jesus himself is the greatest missionary ever, period. He is the greatest. And we can learn several things about Jesus that I want to touch on this morning that will help us to live into the most fully human life possible. If you live into this lifestyle like Jesus did, I believe you'll have more abundance. You'll have more spiritual growth. You'll have more joy. I don't want to put something on you that feels, you know, like David's armor, this is too much. No, this is, I want, this is going to feel like it fits because this is how God made us. So let's, I want to look at, you can turn your Bibles to Matthew 9, 35 through 39. It's looking at those short first four verses that were read to us by Sophia. And I want to point out several qualities about Jesus that makes him, that makes him the best missionary ever. And the first is that Jesus... He searched out the lost. He searched out the lost. Verse 35, it says, He went through all the towns and the villages. Jesus, He sought people out. Of course, simply Him coming from heaven to earth. 
was his greatest mission, missionary move, right? I mean, he left the glory of heaven. He came down to be one of us, to take on mortality, to become like us, so that he could save us. Simply coming here was his greatest missionary move. And never forget that he did that. He came for you. He came for you. He came to save you. He came to rescue you. He came to redeem you. He did that for you. But even more than that, Jesus modeled in his earthly ministry what a lifestyle of a disciple should be like. He sought out people to love. He sought out opportunities to share the good news. He sought out ways to get to know people over a meal. Jesus said himself in Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. It says he went through all the towns and villages. Think of what's traveling Jesus had to do. He's, he's, tra- he's walking everywhere. He's going. He's seeking people out because he knows people are worth it. Every soul is valuable to God. My gosh, I was almost in tears in that children's sermon this morning, weren't you? Thinking about a child needing to be saved out of a river. How precious that one life is. I think it was Spurgeon, I don't remember the quote off the top of my head, but he said, how precious a soul must be if both God and the devil are after it. Every soul, precious to God. But for some of us, this is our main barrier. This is our main barrier to having a more missional lifestyle. Jesus was willing to move his feet. He was willing to seek out opportunities. Uh, But for some of us, we don't seek out lost people. And that's where, that's where it stops. This is where we get fr- tr- uh, first tripped up. Um, we're not looking for opportunities. We don't have our missionary glasses on wherever we go. Um, or you might say, you know what, well, Pastor Nate, I don't really know many non-Christian people in my life. But I would ask you, well, have you spent any time searching for them? Have you sought them out? Have we tried to get to know our neighbors and our colleagues and the people around us, the other parents picking up their children at school? Do we seek out opportunities for this? This is the first thing Jesus did. He sought them out. This is step one. We seek out the lost. Another thing Jesus did is that he shared the good news. He shared the good news. Verse 35, it says he's teaching in their synagogues, synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Bottom line is Jesus had a message. Repent for the kingdom of God is, is here. It's at hand. It's available to you. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He said, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus has thrown out that lifesaver. He was throwing it out to people. I'm here to save you. Christianity, it's it's in part a message of hope. A message of hope that, that God loves you. That God came for you. That God is seeking you out. He's seeking you right now. A confirmation this morning, we were talking about the, message, the, the, the visual of Jesus knocking on the door of our hearts. He's coming to knock on your heart and he just simply wants you to open the door so he can sit down and have a meal with you. Friends, this is not a private faith we keep to ourselves. This is a truth that we proclaim to the world, the reality that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the whole world and he is king right now. We believe this is the truth. Friends, if this isn't true, just forget about the whole thing. If it's not true for the whole world, just forget about it. 
Just forget about this. But if it is true, then we have the most urgent message to give to all people. It's imperative that we proclaim to our culture this truth. Leslie Newbegin, he said, when the church affirms the gospel as public truth, it's challenging the whole society to wake out of the nightmare of subjectivism and relativism. See, what he means is people are so lost in modern secular culture. They are so lost. People are told that all truth is relative and just follow your heart. This is like the blind leading the blind and just say, follow whatever path makes sense to you. How's that going to work out? No, we need light. We need revelation. We need to know that Jesus is the way. We can turn the lights on for people. We've got to get out of this nightmarish existence of subjectivism that, as you can see, I believe, is bearing such bad fruit in our world. And as Jesus went around sharing the good news, um, I think it's fairly self-evident that there wasn't a planned gospel tract, even though those can be helpful. But consider, he told some people parables about the kingdom. He told some people stories. To some he said, don't be afraid. To another he said, your sins are forgiven. To other people, to another person he said, I'm coming to stay at your house. I'm coming to stay at your house. And that was the gospel for them. The gospel, friends, is so big. It's so big. There are so many avenues for telling people how great Jesus is that you basically, you can't go wrong. And you just got to trust the Holy Spirit will help you tell the person about Jesus in a way that makes sense to them, that is helpful for them. God will give you the words to say when you need it. You can trust the Spirit to help you. We share the good news. Another reason why Jesus is the greatest missionary is he simply he served others. He served people. In verse 35, it says he's, he went through the towns healing every disease and sickness. Whatever need the people had, Jesus did what he could to meet that need. If there was sickness, disease, or demonic possession, he delivered them. If they were hungry, he fed them. If they needed truth, he taught them. We know he washed his disciples' feet. Jesus' life was one of incredible service. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The kingdom of God is a demonstration of a community that loves others, that loves each other, that loves the world around it. Remember from the Sermon on the Mount? What team are we? We're team salt and light. We're team salt and light. That's what we do. We let our good deeds, we let our light shine before all men. They they might see our good deeds and what? Glorify our Father in heaven. That's what we do. We serve others. Jesus spent, for sure, a considerable part of his ministry just spending time serving people. I mean, think about how much time it took when he says he just went to all the towns, all the towns and villages, and he healed them all. I mean, you just imagine crowds and crowds and lines of people and Jesus just spending time with each person individually. What do you need? What can I do for you? How can I heal you? How can I help you? That was most of Christ's life was discipling the 12 and serving people. 
That was most of his ministry. You know, in the, co- the covenant affirmations, one of our affirmations is we affirm a commitment to the whole mission of the church. And what that affirmation means is that we believe that the mission of the church is both evangelism and good works. That there's a unity of the good news and showing the good news. And uh, this year has been an exciting year because um, our oldest daughter, Daisy, started kindergarten. And uh, lots of new things, lots of new things to experience. But a new thing that she recently got to experience is she had her first show and tell. And uh, she decided after much thought that she was going to show her favorite stuffed animal. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just tell you about this. But how lame would just a tell be? <laughs> if there was no show, that like defeats the whole purpose, right? No, it's, it's show and tell. And so she brought her favorite stuffed animal. This is Bear Bear. We're very creative in our naming of animals in our house. She's had this bear since she was like one years old. For many years, she slept with Bear Bear every single night. Um, she's kind of graduated from that on now, you know, tear. When your, your child does something cute and they no longer do it anymore, it's kind of sad. Uh, but she wanted to show everyone in her class who Bear Bear was. And she wanted to tell them about it. Bear Bear has been with me since I was basically born. Bear Bear is the best. I want you to see and I want you to tell, I want to tell you all about Bear Bear. Friends, I know this is silly, but we need to show and tell the world about Jesus. It can't just be tell. It can't just be tell. If I, if I just kept Bear Bear in the bag, that would defeat the whole purpose. It's show and tell. It's love people, serve people, show them that God is good. Show them by your actions that God loves them and then tell them about the goodness of God that we sang about today. We show and tell people about Jesus. The late Ron Sider, he said, I long for the day when every village, town, and city has congregations so in love with Jesus Christ that they lead scores of people to accept him as personal Savior and Lord every year and so sensitive to the cry of the poor and oppressed that they work vigorously for justice, peace, and freedom. We tell the good news. We are the good news. We Tell people that there is a better world coming and we make the world a better place right now. We serve others. Jesus was able to do this because he had a compassionate heart. He had a compassionate heart. In verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now this word compassion, it's a word that has this sense of deep feeling within, the, within your gut. That you're, it's, it's such a deep feeling of compassion that you're moved to do something. And I think the best illustration was something that Jesus gave. It was the good Samaritan who had compassion on the man who was beat up on the side of the road. The priest and the Levite did not have compassion. Perhaps they empathized, oh, the poor man in a situation... Perhaps they thought how terrible of a thing to have happened, but their compassion, their, their compassion did not lead them to do anything. The Good Samaritan had compassion. And I think when it comes to this idea of like us being missionaries, this everyday missionary idea, 
I think maybe at the core, we have a heart problem. We have a compassion problem. We're so happy to accept the grace that Jesus, Jesus came to us and He saved us. We're so happy to accept that. But are we moved with compassion to share it with others? Do we care that there are lost people, similar situations spiritually to the boy in the river that needs to be saved? Do we care about the fact that they will face the judgment of God without Christ? Do we care if they have the same hope and peace and joy that we are so blessed to experience? When it comes to mission, I think we have a heart problem. If we don't have compassion, we won't be moved to act. So when it comes to living on mission, are you the Good Samaritan? Or are, the, are you the priest or the, and the Levite? If opportunities come to serve or to, sh- to show and tell the gospel, do you s- do this? I'm walking awkwardly right now. I don't know why. But what do we do? Do you walk around the opportunity or do you stop? We need to pray that God would change our hearts. Oh, did, we pray that Jesus would give us the same compassion that he has. And this is possible for us, friends, because in Christ, we're united to him, are we not? The body is connected to the head. We are seated in the heavenlies with Christ so we can have his mind. We can have his heart. We just have to pray, Lord Jesus, give me your compassion. Let me feel the way you feel about the world. And not only did Jesus have a compassionate heart, he had eyes to see the harvest. Jesus had a vision for the harvest. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus could see it. He had a vision. He saw this harvest is plentiful. People are ready. People are ripe to accept the gospel. Or to use another one of Jesus' metaphors, there are so many fish out there. The sea is full of fish, just waiting to be caught. Very few fishermen. Very few. This can be a barrier for us. We don't don't see God's vision. The vision that one day, when all is said and done, friends, there will be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, thousands upon thousands, countless numbers of people worshiping around the throne of God where the Lamb who was, cruci- who was crucified, the Lamb who was slain is there. That's where this world is headed. And if that's the vision God has for the world, shouldn't we be about that work now? Leading the world, leading people to worship at the feet of Jesus like we do now. We want to help people do this. So every, everywhere we go, we need, we need those missionary glasses on. We've got to put them on. This is a pagan land. Even in Wheaton, where there are churches galore, there may be. But there are lots of people here who need Jesus, who are lost, who are like sheep without a shepherd. And some of you, you have lots of opportunities. You know a lot of people who don't know the Lord. And you just have to say, Lord, who do you want me to share with? Who do you want me, who do you want me to go seek out? And some of you, you might have my problem, your work or your life circumstances, they confine you to a Christian bubble. And you have to begin to see out of that, get out of that somehow. 
And God still has opportunities for you, even if that's for you. Um, and for myself, I, I honestly invite your prayers for this. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that as now Daisy's in kindergarten, we're getting, we're getting to know people we've never met before, people in our neighborhood, people who don't know Jesus. And we're just praying that God would help us be missionaries in our own community as we get integrated into the local school system. So I invite you to pray for me, to pray for Laura, um, that we would have the opportunities God wants us to have um, that we, so that we can practice this out ourselves. So Jesus had a vision. Another aspect of Jesus' ministry is that he worked hard. He worked really hard. In verse 38, he said, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. God wants to send out workers. Workers. Why? Because he is a worker. He is at work. Jesus said, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Harvesting. It's hard labor. And God is wanting to send out people who will labor with him. Yes, God wants to give you Sabbath rest. God doesn't want to exhaust you. God's not some taskmaster, you know, waiting just to give you more to do. But friends, Jesus worked so hard for us. He labored on our behalf. All that he did was such hard labor that he labored for our salvation and to disciple the 12 and to heal people. All of that took energy and work and time. And Jesus is even working now by the mysterious power of the Spirit. He's drawing people to himself. And he calls us not just to work for him, but to work with him. This is an invitation to relationship. Follow me. Be with me. Talk to me and I will make you. Fishers and men. Paul uses the imagery that we are Christ soldiers. We are as athletes. We are hardworking farmers. I mean, every one of those occupations requires discipline, work ethic. People say, you know, man, following Jesus is hard sometimes. Yeah, it does take energy. Being a missionary, being in ministry, serving people, it's going to take some of your energy. It's going to burst the bubble of your life that it keeps you comfortable. And so part of my job as your pastor is to sometimes afflict the comfortable. That God is calling you to work in his harvest field. God is calling you to enter the labor because the harvest is plentiful and he's looking around and saying, who is going to help me? Who is going to do this work with me? Who is willing to step up and work with me to see people come to the knowledge of the truth? So let's not let our master return finding us just twiddling our thumbs and enjoying our Christian songs until we go home. Oh no, let us be on mission for Jesus. Let, let him find us not burying our gold, but investing it for the kingdom. Let us work in his field until he comes again. Finally and briefly, the last point I want to make is that uh, Jesus was prayerful. He was prayerful. When Jesus moved with compassion, he sees the harvest his first instinct is, we got to pray. We got to pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask God to send out workers. We know that prayer is central to everything that God does, that he works mysteriously through the prayers of his people. By faith, we believe. But very interestingly, we see very quickly that the apostles are going to become 
the own an- their own answer to their own prayers. Jesus tells them to pray, ask the, ask the Lord for workers. If you look in your Bible, chapter 10, the commissioning, the commissioning of the 12 gods, he sends them out. He and help people, that God would heal people. Just be prepared that God wants to use you to be the answer to your own prayers. Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I've heard you calling. We pray for the workers, then we become the answer to our prayers. Friends, don't ever forget that Jesus did all this for us. He is the greatest missionary, period. He sought us out. He told us the good news. He turned the lights on for us. He served. He had compassion deep in his heart for all of humanity. He saw this great vision of the harvest uh, ready to to be picked, and he worked hard to accomplish all that the Father gave him to do, and he accomplished it to the very end, even death on the cross. William Barclay says, God still wants the world to hear the good news of the gospel, but they will never hear unless others tell them. He wants all men and women to hear the good news, but they will never hear it unless there are those who are prepared to cross the seas and the mountains and to bring the good news to them. And I would add to what William Barclay said, that they will, they will never hear until there are simply everyday Christians, not, not willing to cross land and sea and mountain, but simply willing to cross the street, to simply willing to go across the room to somebody else, willing just to seek out lost people who need to hear the good news. We need every Christian to be a missionary. What do you do? You wake up in the morning every day. I'm an everyday missionary. And I want you to, I want you to connect this to what I said last week if you were here, growing more aware of God. I'm setting Jesus before me. Good morning, Lord. Good morning. Thank you for a new day. What should we do today? What should we do? Who do you want me to bless? Who do you want me to love? Who do you want me to serve? And then you listen. God, where are you sending me? Who are you preparing for me today? Friends, we're growing together. I told you that I know as a a, uh, novice gardener, I'm aware now just now, uh, that growth takes time. It's taken all season long just to get like two squash. All right, I know it takes time, so I'll, but I want to just give you one question. I just want to move you one step today. How can you be showing and telling others about Jesus? That's your question this week. You don't have to overnight become this international missionary. You just have to take one step. How can you be showing and telling others about Jesus? And honestly, ask that question to God. Lord, how do you want me to be showing and telling others about Jesus this week? What opportunities would you give me? Friends, we do this because our Lord has saved us and he has commissioned us to be his witnesses. Let us pray that God would help us as we go about doing it. Let's pray.